Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, pastors aren't supposed to have favorites, but who are we kidding? Howard was my favorite. Howard was a member of our congregation in Denver, Colorado. Howard's address was the same as the address of the church, because Howard was one of the thousands and thousands of Native Americans who had made their way from the desperation of the reservations in South Dakota and elsewhere to find their way to the desperation of the streets of Denver. He slept behind the church most of the time, sometimes under the bridge downtown. But Howard was amazing. Howard came to worship every Sunday. He came to Bible study. He helped us with our homeless ministry, helping to clothe and feed the neighbors who were just like Howard. Howard had the best questions and the best stories. Howard could lead a Bible study like nobody's business. Howard raked leaves in the fall and shoveled snow in the winter and picked weeds and watered plants in the spring and the summer because that's how he could give back. I loved Howard. Howard had a problem, like many of his brothers and sisters in the Native American community. He was drunk most of the time. He didn't want to be but it's just how it happened. And Howard would come to worship every Sunday morning, and he would always sit in the very back row, which meant, of course, that Howard was a perfect Lutheran. (laughs) But he sat in the back row not just because he was a Lutheran, but because he knew that he smelled, that he smelled of the streets, and he smelled of booze. And all those well-dressed Lutheran ladies up front would not want to sit with him. He was actually wrong about that. Because those lovely Lutheran ladies loved Howard just as much as I did. And when it came time for communion to be served, Howard always stayed in his seat. I noticed that, and so very shortly after my arrival, I pulled Howard aside after worship, and I said, you know, Howard, you can do whatever you feel like doing on Sunday morning, whatever makes you feel comfortable, but I want to let you know, you are welcome here. This, This meal is for you just as much as it is for anyone else. So anytime you feel like talking about it or, or, or just coming forward, please let me know. And Howard said, Pastor, I know you say that, And you probably mean it. But I don't feel it. So deep down inside, I know I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of this meal. Not till I get my act together. I said, well, Howard, if that's what you think, that's what you think. But just so you know, I'm not either. And neither is anybody else in this room. None of us is worthy for this. But you're welcome, just like everyone else. And as I finished that conversation and I pondered it later, I wondered how on earth Howard ever got that idea. How did he ever receive a message that he was not worthy of God's love, of God's grace, of God's meal? And then I realized, of course, that Howard was just saying out loud what almost everyone has felt at some time or another. We're not perfect. 
We're not even all that good most of the time. Do we really fit in here? Do we really deserve what we receive? I mean, the world finds any number of ways to make sure that folks don't feel like they fit together. Is it impossible that God feels that too? That was the problem that happened in Rome as well. Today we continue our walk through the the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Last week we read, and by mistake, read it again this morning, uh, the first chapter of that wonderful letter in which Paul begins with a very powerful thesis statement. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who have faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. This morning, we're in the fifth chapter, so we've skipped a few things. And it's important to understand what we missed. Why? Why would Paul find it necessary to point out those particular ethnic differences to the Jews first and also to the Greek? Well, the reason is that the church in Rome was dealing with the same problem that all of the churches in the New Testament were dealing with, and that was they were a mixed bag. Okay? There were people there, let's just say this side of the sanctuary, for the sake of argument, y'all are Jews this morning, okay? It's fun, don't worry. In that congregation, there were Jews who had come to believe that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, that Jesus was the Messiah sent to restore and deliver Israel. At the same time, there were Greeks, Gentiles, outsiders, non-Jews. That's who you are, okay? They knew very little, if anything, of the, what we call the Old Testament, of the story of God's people. But what they did know was that through an experience of the Holy Spirit, they had come to believe that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar, and that Jesus Christ had indeed died for them too and given them the gift of salvation and hope, even if they weren't from that family. These two groups of people did not like each other. They came from different heritages. They had very different traditions, very different understandings of God. Let's just say their potlucks were a total mess. The altar guild was a shambles, trying to figure out what to do this Sunday. And the worship and music committee kept catfighting about everybody's favorite hymns. In other words, they were a church. And they had a lot of trouble understanding one another. So Paul writes the letter to the Roman church to try and get them to understand what's happening and what God is longing to do about it. And he writes this brilliant rhetorical argument where he lures the people, all of the people, into a trap. So he tiptoes over to this side of the sanctuary, rhetorically speaking, and he sits with his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he looks down his nose at Bill, and all y'all, and he says, you are dirty. You are idolaters. You break every rule God has ever established, and then you claim ignorance because God didn't give you the law. Hogwash. God's law is written in the stars, which you spend all night studying. You know better. 
And all of Paul's Jewish friends are nodding their heads. Everybody nod your heads with me. Saying, yeah, them's nasty. (laughs) And then Paul tiptoes across the room and sits with his Greek friends. And he looks down his nose at Terry. (laughs) And he says, you think you're better than we are. You think you're better than everybody else. You spend your whole life judging other people, telling them how they all keep falling short. You are so special because God chose you and God gave you the law. Well, good for you, but you suck at keeping the law. (laughs) You are hypocrites of the highest order. You spend your life judging others and you judge yourself in the process. And all the Greeks are nodding their heads. Yeah. Yeah. They are the judgiest group of people we have ever met. And so now that Paul has everybody in the room angry at everybody else, then Paul walks to the center of the sanctuary and he says, do you see what happens? Do you see what happens? Do you see what happens when we make this about us and them? About me or you? This is what happens. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, that none of us is worthy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us live the lives that God intended for us. None of us. And so God proves God's love for us. In that while we were still lost, while we were still broken, while we were still weak, while we were still falling apart, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that by faith and the power of God and the grace of Jesus Christ, we might live. No one is worthy. But by God's grace and God's power alone, All are welcome. Let's see if we can live as if that were true. I gotta be honest with you, there are times when I feel like I might be something of a one trick pony. What I mean by that is every time I stand up to preach, it's all gracey, 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 grace, right? God loves us even when we are unlovable. God welcomes all, even though none is worthy. Every once in a while, it it feels like maybe I I just don't have any better material and y'all are going to get bored. But then I realize that even on the Sundays where I somehow manage to say something about God's grace that sticks with me for a few minutes, by the time I go to bed on Sunday night... I have stepped so far out of the circle of God's grace, it's not even funny, that I have spent the rest of the day building myself up over and against others, scrolling through Facebook and thinking to myself about how weird some of my other friends' choices are about parenting their kids, knowing, of course, that my kids are way cuter. You better believe I make fun of their politics. None of yours, of course. (laughs) Theirs. And by the time I go to bed on Sunday night, I have spent countless hours tearing myself apart. 
wondering if I did enough to show my wife and my children how much I dearly love them. Or if I worked hard enough this week. If enough people showed up on Sunday morning to justify my salary. By the time I go to bed on Sunday night, let alone Monday to Saturday, this good news that God has poured out into my heart and to yours has already begun to drain out. Am I alone in that? Am I the only one who lives in a world where we build ourselves up and tear ourselves apart and do the same to our neighbors? And so I have decided that I will continue to preach the good news of God's abundant and eternal grace poured into our hearts by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that alone, until I actually believe it and live as if it is actually true. I hope that's okay with you. On my last Sunday at Good Shepherd in Denver, I'd been there almost four years. There are a few more people there than usually came, but I still knew all their names, and I was serving communion, and I looked up, and there at the end of the row, at the end of the line, was Howard. He was stumbling, but he came forward, and he knelt at the altar rail, and he held out his dirty and weathered hands, and he had tears in his eyes, and I placed in his hands a piece of bread, and I said, Brother Howard, child of God, this is the body of Christ broken and given for you. After worship, we were having some cake and punch, and he found me in the corner, and he said, Pastor, did you see? I took communion for the first time ever. Did you see it? It's like, Howard, I gave it to you. (laughs) Of course I saw it. He said, I did it for you. And I said, oh, Howard, brother, I love you, man. But you are dead wrong. You didn't do it for me. I didn't do it for you. Jesus did it for all of us. Brothers and sisters, at this table, in that water, in this word, may you feel in your heart of hearts this truth, that indeed none of us is worthy, but all, all are welcome by God's grace and glory alone. And thanks be to God for that.